from API. This is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. Oil companies have been announcing their second quarter earnings for 2008 during the past few days, and the results are a mixed bag. To explain why some companies are reporting very solid earnings while others have not done very well recently, we've invited API's chief economist, John Filmy, to join us in the studio today. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. Glad you could come. How would you describe the oil company's earnings for the second quarter overall? Well, so far for the companies that have reported, it looks as though they will have had earnings that are a rate of about seven and a half cents in a dollar. In other words, for every dollar that you spend on petroleum when you pull up to the pump, uh, about seven and a half percent is earnings, and that's from all segments of the companies. So every dollar that people are investing in gasoline is generating earnings of about seven and a half cents? Is that another way of looking at it? That's right. And it's important to compare that to other companies and other industries. For example, for the Dow Jones companies that have reported as of yesterday, uh, the earnings rate was about 10.8 cents on a dollar. So there's no way you can characterize that these earnings are out of line from other companies. Why are some of the oil companies reporting strong earnings and others are not? Well, if you look at the three segments that most companies are in, uh, it's instructive. First of all, if you look at retail, most integrated oil companies do not own the stations. Uh, They're basically a a dealer relationship, and so it's owned by a small businessman. The margins in retail have not been good at all. Secondly, in refining, margins have not been good because what has happened is uh, the price of crude oil has gone up more than the cost of gasoline. And so the the, uh, suppliers in the supply chain have been squeezed. Now, if you happen to be primarily an upstream producer, in other words, somebody who produces oil and gas as your main line of business or your dominant line of business, you've done quite well because the price of oil and gas has gone up considerably. Now, you mentioned the price of crude oil has gone up faster than the price of gasoline. Can you give us some figures on that to help our listeners understand it? If you look on average year to date, um, the price of crude oil has gone up about 80% compared to gasoline of about 35%. If you look at it in cents in a gallon, uh, the cost of crude oil has gone up over $1.20 a gallon, whereas gasoline is up about 80 cents a gallon. Diesel is up about $1.30, or just a little more than the cost of crude oil. Very good. Hopefully that will help people understand what they're seeing now at the pump and understand the economics behind all that. Well, I think it's important to add that if you look at the cost of crude oil right now, it's about $3 a gallon. Average taxes are about $0.49 a gallon. So the base cost of the product before you've incurred refining, marketing, transportation, all the other expenses is $3.50, and the average price of gasoline right now is $3.90. So there's not a lot, as I mentioned, for the supply chain. Now, when people read about oil company earnings in the newspaper, they see that some of the companies have been making billions, with a B, dollars every quarter. And that tends to feed distrust. So... Explain why it is that some of these companies are making so much money. It's at markets at work and managing your business properly. If you look at why we have records, you can probably decompose it in several things. First of all, the bigger companies used to be two or three companies. So just mathematically, the numbers are a lot larger. Second, when you merge companies together, you have massive cost cutting and you eliminate redundant departments, and that all flows to the bottom line. 
Next, for the most part, you've had record sales. Well, if you sell a record amount of product, you're going to do well if you manage your business properly. And as I said, finally, if you happen to be producing oil and gas, you've done quite well. And they are large companies. They're huge companies, and they have to be to be able to compete on a world scale with national oil companies who are really big oil companies. Well, tell me, first of all, we're going to get to the national oil companies in a moment because I think that's something that our, our listeners do need to understand. But, but getting to the investor-owned companies, the ones that are household names in this country today, tell me, what do they do with their earnings? Well, investor-owned companies, as you characterize it, are owned by investors. In other words, they're owned by retirement plans, pension funds, millions of Americans who own these companies. It's not, as I like to say, space aliens or a bunch of Rockefellers. They're largely millions of Americans. Now, what do they do with the money? Well, the first thing they do is invest. And on average, if you look back over the last decades or so, they've invested more than their net income. They also do pay dividends because, of course, their shareholders need that money. They buy back stock to be able to support their, their, their stock price. Uh, and that's important because here in Washington, share buybacks somehow are characterized as being bad. Well, that's utter nonsense because what they're doing is supporting their owners. And they also save money for a rainy day. Some of people who've been critical of these investor-owned companies say they're also paying their own executives way too much money. Now, the executives do have very ample salaries. What do you say to critics who complain about those salaries? There's nothing that infuriates an economist more than critique of either somebody's wages or what the price in a market is, because it's basically markets that determine both the price of the products that you see and the wage rates. Economists point out that, look, you should be paid what they call your marginal revenue product. In other words, what do you produce for your shareholders? And by all measures, these executives, no matter what they're making, are producing returns for their shareholders. Here's another question from some of the critics. Do the companies pay their fair share of taxes? Absolutely. If you look at the tax rate that companies pay, in other words, if you look about how much of their net income they pay in taxes, it's roughly about 40% according to DOE data. If you compare that to all manufacturing according to the same database, it's about 22%. So the companies are paying tens of billions of dollars in taxes. They're also paying in excess of $10 billion in royalties, and they're also paying a host of other taxes to different levels of governments. They're paying their fair share. Now, we're talking about the investor-owned oil companies, of course, uh, and we we know that they're very large, but how do they compare in size to the state-owned companies, the ones that are uh, supported by individual countries around the world? Well, if you look at the total reserve ownership, in other words, what do investor oil companies have absolute control of, uh, it's about 6% of world reserves. That compares to, say, Saudi Aramco that controls 25% alone. So they're very small players on a big stage. And that's fundamentally different than what it used to be back in the 60s and 70s when investor-owned companies had more control. But subsequent to that, the national oil companies have taken over control of the world's reserves. So you're saying the investor-owned companies do not have control over the marketplace at this point. That's absolutely right. What it is, it's world supply and demand factors. And, for example, OPEC alone controls 40% of world supplies. So uh, what you have is is thousands and thousands of buyers and sellers that come together, and that's what sets prices on the world world scale. Is that why gasoline prices are at today's levels? 
Absolutely. If you look right now, the if you look at that dollar of gasoline that you're paying, roughly 74 cents is crude oil. Another 11 cents is taxes. And so the residual is what has to be used for costs, refining, marketing, transporting, and some earnings. As an economist, John, what in your view should be done to ensure that American consumers have energy for the future at affordable prices? If you look at all energy sources, the costs have gone up dramatically, whether it be petroleum, coal, nuclear fuel, electricity. And that's because what you're seeing on a world scale is demand is outrunning supply. It's especially true in oil, of course, uh, because of China, India, the Middle East. And so if we want to get our house in order, what we need to do is either reduce demand through energy efficiency, wise use of energy, increase supplies, and improve the infrastructure. Only then will you see consumers uh, benefit from changes in energy policy. And we need a broader portfolio of energy sources for this country? We need everything. Going forward, we're going to need efficiency improvements. We're going to need conventional oil, coal, gas, nuclear, hydro. And we're going to need alternatives. We're going to need renewables, solar, wind, geothermal. We're going to need cellulosic ethanol and all forms of energy. But a key factor going forward is to remember that a lot of these alternatives that people talk about are electricity. And we're going to need that but it won't help the American gasoline consumer because we don't have electric cars yet. So the real question is transportation fuel. That's absolutely correct because 97% of transportation fuel is petroleum right now. You have a little bit of natural gas, which incidentally a couple people have just recently called for more use of, uh, uh, Boone Pickens and Aubrey McClendon, and that can certainly help in terms of additional diversification of supplies. Very good. John Selmy, thank you so much for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.